morning. Would you do me a favor? Grab your bulletin. If you got a bulletin, grab your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, look somebody nearby that might have a bulletin. Okay? And take a look at that picture on the front of the bulletin, please. If you didn't have a chance to see it, and like I said, sort of look over, and if you didn't see one, you know, I know you, for those with great eyes, eagle eyes, you can look up here and see this, right? It's a picture of a little boy looking up a chimney. The stockings are hung, and he's got a stocking in his hand, and he's sort of crouched over, and he's sort of looking up that chimney uh, with great expectations, right? And I love that picture of that boy looking up at that chimney. Uh, you know, we could use the word cute or whatever, but I'm looking at that, and I'm seeing curious and anxious and expecting. Here's this little boy who's, you know, he's heard stories for years, from as long as he can remember, you know, when he was first held and, and the toddler and then a preschooler. And as he gets older, he hears these stories about this big, jolly man, you know, in his Santa red suit and his beard. And he brings a bag full of toys and he comes down the chimney and he puts the presents underneath the tree. And that little boy just hears story after story, year after year. And he's like wondering as he's looking up under that chimney, is he coming? Is he coming tonight? This is the night, right? I have great expectations for what's going to happen when he comes down that chimney and he's coming to my house. But the question is, when? When is he coming? Sometime soon, right? So I'll just take a look and I'll peek and I'll anxiously wait, expecting somebody to come down that chimney, expecting something big to happen. And uh, it's going to happen soon. I love, that, I love that picture because it sort of sets the tone for what I want to talk about today and, and what it, God's laid on my heart. And with that, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of surprise a junior high girl here and ask her to help me out with something. Um, sort of just gave her a heads up, okay? Hopefully she's got her phone with her app that she could help me out, let me know. But how many days till Christmas? Because some of you have this nailed down. Do you have it with you? Can you check it for me? This is the one time Pastor Rex is going to say, hey, pull your phone out and check your apps, Okay ain't normally going to happen, okay? But we were at a basketball game, and, and uh, you showed me this app. How many days till Christmas? Did y'all catch that? Stand, stand up and say it nice, and I'm, I'm really putting you on the spot making you stand, okay? 17 days, 13 hours, 30 minutes, and 40 seconds. Yeah, it was well, now 39 seconds, and actually 38 seconds. How many heartbeats until Christmas morning? Heartbeats until Christmas, okay? Isn't that, I don't know, who comes up with these apps? I don't know, they're great. I saw, when you shared that with me, that was awesome, you know? But that's that thing a lot of us have. We have little, some of you remember the chains, you tear off a little chain link by link. Christmas is coming, you get all pumped and excited, right? There's such great expectation. Thank you for sharing that this morning. And, and that's fun, I mean, but that's the simplicity. That's the childlike fun and childlike magic about Christmas and its many childhood stories. But see, there's another story in history, okay? And this story is about the arrival of Jesus Christ, God's Son to this earth, God in the flesh. And we too anxiously, like that boy looking up the chimney, we too anxiously sort of sit there and say, are you coming back soon? How, when, when are you coming? When is this going to happen? And we, we have these expectations of something special. And see, before Jesus arrived... 
little over 2,000 years ago, before he arrived on this earth as a baby, there was incredible expectation for something to happen. You have to go all the way back to uh, the book of Genesis. I'm not going to have you turn there, okay? But if you went from Genesis, from the beginning of the Old Testament, all the way to the end of the New Testament, there's 39 books there, various authors, written in different locations over various years and time and generations. The amazing thing is, when you pull these 39 books together, there's one thing that sort of unites them all. There's something you can find in all of these books in the Old Testament, and that is this. They were written by and about God's special people, of people that God truly loved. So as you read through every book, it's, there it is. It was written by God's people, for God's people, these special people, a small nation called Israel. They were going to be this instrument used by God to let the whole world know about the love of God. It's an amazing thing. So what we learn when you pick up your Bible, what you learn when you open up reading through the Old Testament, you're reading about the history of this nation that God loved. And Israel encountered all kinds of times of not just joy, but grief and despair. They had some rough times. The Israelites occupied one of the most contested areas of the world. Everybody's fighting for this one piece of land. And they were frequently under attack by tribes and nations. The Philistines, the Babylonians, uh, the Romans, all wanted that land and all wanted a piece of them. So they built their walls. They built their homes, they built their temples, and their enemies would come in and destroy everything. They'd rebuild it, and then their enemies would destroy it, and then we'd rebuild it. What a history. Finally, Israel became a nation that was dying. They were filled with confusion and doubt. Aren't we God's people? Aren't we the one that God loves? Aren't we the instrument that he's going to be using to show everybody God's love? Why do we have such despair and so many problems and such a, a rotten history right now. And it was during that time that a group of men, they were called prophets, entered the scene. Some of the Jewish people had been carried away into slavery. Some of them lost their sense of national identity as they're in exile. Many became cynical. Some were faithless, embittered. And everyone yearned for the days of the kings. Remember, we had a king. We had a, a physical ruler in front of us and a king to rule us, we don't have that. And this is when the prophets arrived. Men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, they urged the people, keep the faith. They had messages like this, wait, wait, there's one ruler coming. There's one ruler coming, the greatest of all, and he will end our struggle forever. Just hold on. These prophets kept bringing this message to the people that were cynical and faithless and bitter. So these stories and words of the prophets basically pointed to a better future. As if the prophets gathered around that chimney with everybody else that, come on, come on, it's going to happen soon. Expect something big to come soon. Their words and works were glimmers of a Savior, a King, who would come and rescue His people, restore His people, bring them back to God. In fact, there were more than 300 specific prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures explained about the promised Messiah that was coming. Let me hear you say 300. One more time. 300. I want you to think how big that number is, okay? That's how many times 
all these various prophets said, there's a Savior coming. Let me tell you about the Savior that's coming. All these pieces of a puzzle. Matter of fact, we're going to throw some scriptures up on the screen. And you don't have to turn to any of those yet, but I'm going to put them up there. These are just a few of the 300 prophecies. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this special deliverer, the Messiah, the king, we are told by Isaiah, would be born of a virgin. We're told specifically how this king would be born, from whom this king would be born. Another prophet said, hey, I'm going to tell you where the king's going to be born. So in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, you're only a small village among the people of Judah. Because see, Jerusalem was the place to be, right? But you, Bethlehem, a small town, people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will become from you on my behalf. So Micah says, let me tell you where the Savior is going to be born. O little town of Bethlehem. He's going to be the source of our peace. If you read on to verse 5, Micah continues to say, he will be the prince of peace. And Jesus says, in John 14, 27, and it's not up there, but he says this, I'm leaving you a gift of peace, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give isn't like the world gives peace. It's not about not being violent. It's a different kind of peace so that you won't be troubled or afraid. That's what Jesus said about peace. But this is a reference to Jesus coming. And there's more. As you go throughout the Old Testament, all these prophecies, how many are there again? 300 plus. Very good, yep. There's a reference to uh, him being the one who heals, helps, loves, finds favor with people, but he's also one that is acquainted with pain. Matter of fact, Isaiah 53, 5 says this, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. See, Isaiah says, let me tell you about this king that's going to be born and what's going to happen and how he's going to die. The prophecies are there. Open up your Bibles with me to Isaiah 53. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. And I'll read to you some of the scripture from Isaiah 53. You say, well, where, where do we hear about Jesus in the Old Testament? Because we all, usually we're like, turn to Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1. We read about the birth of Jesus, but it's good to know there was such great expectation thousands of years prior to this. Isaiah chapter 52. And actually, uh, let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, next chapter. I kept seeing 52, I meant 53. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Talking about Jesus here. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him when we looked the other way. 
He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was in our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. I want to stop there for a second. Why don't you think about this? This is Jesus Christ who came to this earth to live for us, to die for us. And Isaiah says, he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. Let's read on. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, all of us, like sheep, we've strayed away. We left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed, treated harshly. He never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep silent before the shears. He didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He'd done no wrong. He never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. Does anybody's minds right now flash into the picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? But it was the Lord's plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he'll be satisfied. Listen to this last part. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. He will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Isaiah predicts and prophesies what is going to happen to this baby born of a virgin in a small town of Bethlehem. He will be despised, but he will be crushed for our sins. This is God's plan. As Isaiah is penning this, this isn't going to happen for hundreds of years. But God laid it upon his heart to throw this prophecy out. This is what we have to expect. Isaiah 49, 6, if you were to back up a few chapters, it says this. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I'll make you a light to the Gentiles, and you'll bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Here's the mission of Jesus. Not just to reach the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well. Not just to reach this one nation of Israel, but to every other nation. Jesus is coming to save you and me. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for all. For God so loved who? The world. That he gave his one and only begotten son. You know, the best way, I, and I'm trying to think the best way to put this, when you look at all these prophecies, maybe the best, I can give you a different example. Maybe a bunch of squiggly lines on all these separate pieces of paper. If everybody here were to take a, a pen and paper and just draw a squiggly line, it's like, okay, what's God laid on your heart? I think he wants me to draw this. Okay. And then I collected all those papers from you and we put them up on the screen. Nobody talking to each other as far as confirming with what you were writing. You just drew. But we put it up on the screen and lo and behold, there's a picture, a portrait of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. We was like, oh, how did that happen? 
Or maybe you take pieces of a puzzle, everybody grab a piece of it, and you come together and you're able to piece it together to have a beautiful picture. That's what these prophecies are. All these prophecies from all these books, all these authors, all these scriptures pulled together. And we have the story of Jesus Christ before it ever happened. What a mystery. What an amazing thing. What are the odds of all these prophecies being fulfilled? I checked this out. Because over 300 prophecies, right? Josh McDowell states that using the science of probability, let's not even use 300 prophecies. Let's just go with 48. Let's just go with 48 prophecies. About one-sixth of what we're talking about here. He says, what's the probability of 48 prophecies be fulfilled in one person. It's all about Joe right now, okay? So here's all the prophecies. 48 of them are going to be told about you. They're going to happen in the next 10 years. We don't even know what's going to happen 10 years from now. God does. But what would be the probability of 48 things about you coming true 10 years from now? What would that be like? He says it's this. It's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So that's a 1 with 157 zeros behind it. One in that are the chances of 48 of those things coming true if I were to do that, write it out right now. That's crazy, isn't it? Let me give you another example. As you look at the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, you know, we're told about the lineage, where he comes from, the place he's going to be born, the time it's going to happen, the manner in which it's going to happen, the birthplace, the people's reactions, the betrayal, his life, his manner of death, okay? Just a fraction of the hundreds of details made up to identify God's Son, the Messiah, Savior born. And some say, well, it's got to be coincidence, right? Professor Peter Stoner, using the science of probability, says, in reference to just eight, we've gone from 48 now to just eight, okay? Let's cut this down. How about eight prophecies coming true? What are the odds? Okay, here we go. We find that chance any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies as one in ten to the 17th power. Ten to the 17th power, which is a one with 17 zeros behind it. So we're not talking thousands, millions, trillions. What's after trillions? Gazillions? Okay. That's what we're talking about. Again, how do you picture that? Josh McDowell went on to say this. Let me give you an illustration. Take ten to the 17th power of half dollars. All of us right now would say, I'm all in on that one, okay, right? Half dollars, 10 to the 17th power. That is taking the state of Texas, covering the state of Texas in two feet of half dollars. Can you imagine the state of Texas covered in two feet of half, half dollars? From one end to the next. Then this is what we're going to do. We're going to take one of those silver dollars, we're going to put an X on it. We're going to throw it back into the state of Texas. And we're going to get a massive blender the size of Texas and blend those half dollars all over the place. And then we're going to take Aiden. We're going to blindfold you. And you're going to walk across the state of Texas as far as you want. East, west, north, to south. Go whatever direction you want. Stop anytime you want to walk it through two feet of Half dollars, you're kicking through, I'm trying to get through there. You get tired, you're like, I'm done. So you reach down, you only get one chance to pick up that dollar with the X on it, okay? You reach down, you pick it up, and that's the one with the X. That's one to the 10, that's in the 17th power. 
That's the odds of just eight of those prophecies coming true. And how many prophecies are told about Jesus Christ that have come true? Over how many? 300. Isn't that amazing? And yet we don't believe in Jesus Christ. God, in his absolute power, pieced together a plan, revealed in one after another, multiple times of showing us Jesus is coming. Jesus is on the way. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Here's where. Here's how. Here's who. So forth and so on. It was the nation of Israel was really like that little boy in the picture by the chimney. That's the nation of Israel looking up and saying, is he coming? And we all know the answer to that now because we have the privilege of living 2,000 years after he was born with scripture that's been written, documented, truer than any other piece of documentation that's been written. Pick a poem. Pick a piece of uh, article that's been written. Documentation here outdoes it. They all heard the stories of the one who was coming, who, was rule, who would rule, who would save. And it was beyond a tremendous holiday, which we celebrate now as Christmas. It'd be life-changing. So when is he coming? I can't wait for Jesus to come, right? When is the Savior going to come? But you see, after a while, after a time of waiting, it's easy to lose hope. How many times have people walked away from God because the answer they were waiting for didn't come? God, I prayed this, and it didn't happen. God, I wanted this to happen, and I, I really thought you'd come true. Your promises are true, right? Your mercies are new every morning. I read your scripture. This should be happening. But it didn't happen, God. Where were you? Because it didn't happen, God, I don't believe in you anymore. Now, how many of you have seen, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you have seen probably a similar scenario on TV when you're watching a Christmas movie? And there's always that person, that adult, that sort of blows off Christmas. I don't believe in Santa anymore. And they're like, why is it? Because when I was young, I didn't get my favorite toy that I wanted. So, you know, just watching those Christmas movies today, there's always one adult that doesn't believe in Santa because they didn't get what they wanted as a child, right? You know what I'm talking about. And we sit there and say, that is so silly. Really? How many of us, how many people do you know would not go to church anymore, do not worship God because they didn't get what they wanted from God, because he didn't answer a prayer, because something horrible happened in their life and they're mad at God. Now, if that was the story of Santa and Christmas, we'd say, oh, get over it, really? But when it comes to faith, there's something that's stronger there and we have a harder time with that. Let me ask you this. Who are we to tell God to show up. God, answer the door now. Who am I to demand God to answer me? I am nothing but a mere speck, creation that he loves. But for me to demand of a holy, righteous God that he listen to me? Who are we to demand that the God of this universe should do what we want? Who are we to expect God to beckon at our call? Who are we to tell God, hey, bless us? Why should he bless us? There are at least, there's probably a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 400 years, nothing. Can you imagine what it's like for all those people from Isaiah, Micah, and Jeremiah to hear all those prophets about Jesus coming, Jesus coming, and there's 400 years of nothing. 
And we expect things to happen in four days in our life, 40 days maybe. How about four years? What if it was this? What if you never saw God act in your life at all in your lifetime? Would you still believe in him? People went over 400 years without seeing God working in their lives. Did they give up their faith? Did they give up their hope? What do we learn? When we're reading through the Bible, we learn that people needed hope. They, like that child sitting by the fireplace looking up. Are you coming? Give me, some, give me a clue. Give me a sign. I'm expecting something. We learned that the people needed that hope, so God sent spokespeople, prophets, a foretaste of what was come. He gave us hope until it happened. You guys got your Bibles open, Isaiah? Let's go back a few. Uh, this is not going to be on the screen. I'm going to just throw this one on there. Isaiah chapter 9, 1 to 7. This is sort of an impromptu scripture here. Sorry, Dan. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1. You just heard verses 6 and 7 of the scripture read by Chad Borton, one of our elders. Let's back up to verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Why is Isaiah writing this? Because people felt like they were in darkness forever. God, you ever going to come down? Are you going to be here? Sort of dark and dreary in here. Isaiah writes, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Nephtali will be humbled. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Listen to this. The people who walk in darkness you'll see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you'll break the yoke of the slavery and you'll lift the heavy burden of their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They'll be fuel for fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He'll rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And then it happened. Fast forward a few hundred years, it happened. Turn to Luke chapter 1. It happened. Over 300 prophecies talking about Jesus coming and what he's going to be like. And then it happened. That little boy who looked up and, you know, he's like looking up in the chimney. Is he coming? Is he coming? And he got tired. He went and laid down on the couch. And he woke up in the morning. And it happened. There's stuff underneath the tree. It happened. Luke chapter 1. We read about Elizabeth. She becomes pregnant with John. We know it's John the Baptist. And that was truly a miracle. Because she'd hoped. She waited for years. She was an elderly woman without a child. And in that nation, 
that was a disgraceful thing. The pain of being childless, the social embarrassment. And I'm sure she kept asking, when, God, when? And I'm sure her husband, who had to look at her cry every night, was also saying, when, God, when? And they're probably frustrated, right? But we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, the Herod was king of Judea, and there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, a member of the priestly order. We read that he went that day, that time, into town, to the temple. Look at verse 8. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by Lot. Hmm, just so happened, right? To enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So here's this one that was chosen. You're, you're lucky to be chosen because there were so many different priests. He got the call. He got to go in and place an offering before God. As everybody else stood outside praying. And as he's in there, while Zachariah's in the sanctuary, it says this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken, overwhelmed with fear when he saw it. He goes, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. You might want to underline that. Because so many times we're sitting there saying, when, God, when, right? God's heard your prayer. He's heard it. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. You'll have great joy, gladness, and you rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or their alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Did you ever really read that and let that sink in? Because we know that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, when we surrender and we say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we give ourselves to the Lord and we surrender, God's Spirit comes into us and indwells us. Our bodies become his temple. Scripture says, right? But did you read this? God's Spirit was going to dwell him before he was even born. This is one special child. He'll turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Oh, man. I'm sure that time Zechariah's thinking back, Elijah. Oh, remember all the things Elijah did? My son's going to have that kind of spirit. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Oh, here it is. He's coming again. Another prophecy, right? He'll turn his hearts for the fathers to their children. He'll cause those who are rebellious to act in the wisdom of the godly. Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man. My wife is, she's old too. Don't let her hear I said that. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to you to bring you this good news. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant, went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. Again, it was like looking up the chimney saying, when? When's it going to happen? And I'm just going to go lay down on the couch. I'm too tired. I can't stay up anymore. Fall asleep. You wake up, and there it is. Everything underneath the tree. Incredible, right? Where did it come from? As a kid, you always ask that question, right? He showed up. I didn't even see it happen. God's Spirit came, gave Elizabeth what she hoped for. Didn't see it coming, but it happened. The story continues on from there. Matter of fact, Luke chapter 1, 
verse 67 to 80. This is what Zechariah said. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, verse 68, because he's visited and he's redeemed his people. He sent us a mighty Savior. It hasn't happened yet, by the way. From the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets long ago, over 300 of them in the Old Testament. Now we'll be saved from our enemies, from all who hate us. He's been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, you'll be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you're going to prepare the way of the Lord. You'll tell us people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, this morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in the darkness in the shadow of death and guide us to a path of peace. This morning, I wanted you to hear about all the prophecies. I wanted you to hear this morning about all the people that sat there in darkness and despair saying, when? When's it going to happen? I have such great expectations. You probably have expectations for Christmas this year, for what it's going to be like, for what you may give or receive. What's going to happen at a Christmas party? What's going to happen at a gathering? What's going to be like tomorrow? Some of you have different expectations this holiday. My sister-in-law had expectations of wondering, what are the results of her breast cancer going to come back as? And then she waited, and we all waited, and she got the good news that after the surgery, she's going to be okay. We all have these expectations. Sitting in the hospital, is he going to be okay? Many of you right now, you're sitting there going, 1230, what is Ohio State's future in football? You got expectations, right? Whether it's football, whether it's life, whether it's death, whether it's some kind of report, we have expectations. Something's going to happen. Thursday night, I was sitting there at home, and I was thinking, oh, it's about 9, 930, and I'm thinking, oh, I knew this all day long. Toledo Central Catholic was going to be playing in a football game in the state championship. Nate's another smile because he didn't want me to mention his name, but Nate coaches at Toledo Central Catholic on the football team with the wide receivers. And uh, so he was down there. It's like, man, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how, you know, what's going on with Nate right now, you know? And so I'm looking on Twitter. It's like, oh, it was an incredible game. Back and forth. It's like, okay, what's, what's the next play? I was waiting to hear with expectation. What was going to happen next? Oh, Toledo Central Catholic scored. Oh, the other team scored. Oh, they scored. And it went back and forth. And it's like, waiting. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I'm seeing who's tweeting. I'm going, they can't be at the game. They got school tomorrow. They can't be at the game. They got to work tomorrow. It's on TV somewhere. I'm slow. I know. Okay? I completely missed it because by the time I figured out where I was at, the game was coming to an end. And they won. But there's so much expectation with every tweet. There's all these expectations, right? So let me ask you this morning. What are you looking for? What are you expecting? As you sit here this morning, you've got expectations, I know. Let me share something with you. The greatest thing that we could ever hope for, the greatest thing we could ever expect, came to this planet a little over 2,000 years ago. When we were to the point of being hopeless, 
And trust me, all those people in that 400-year period never saw, never heard the stories of the Savior. When we're to that point of giving up, don't. Don't give up. Keep looking. Keep expecting. Keep hoping. It's okay to have expectations. But remember, Jesus Christ came. He arrived. He brought hope. He brought peace. He brought, he brought love. He brought joy. He brought all of this for us. Luke 1.37 says, The Word of God never fails. Someday, Jesus is going to come back again. He came as a baby a little over 2,000 years ago. Someday soon, we're expecting it, right? He's going to come back, but as a victorious and mighty Savior, a much different picture. My question to you today is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you looking for him? Like that boy looking up the chimney. Are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you looking for him to return? Are you telling others about Jesus Christ? If not, why not? He's coming. He's coming. We need to be ready. Christmas is a time of expectations. Celebration is obviously, we're going to celebrate His first coming. That's what's the wonderful thing about Christmas. We're celebrating His first coming. But with Advent, we also expect and look forward to His second coming. Are you ready? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're ready. If you haven't, you're not ready. Today's a good day to get ready and to expect his return. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you as we can look in the Old Testament and we sometimes we just sort of glance over the Old Testament and we just sort of say, that's a lot of good scripture. I don't get it. I like the stories about Jesus in the New Testament, the challenges by Paul, the commands. But as we look at Old Testament today, God, we see how many prophets, how many men that were chosen by you to, to write all these things about the coming of Jesus Christ. That little nation of Israel was so expecting a Savior, a King, and they went through such rough times. It seemed so distant from when you would come. But they expected and they waited. And you came. You fulfilled everything that was said in only a way that you can do it because there's no way in the science of probability that that could happen without you making it happen. So God, we thank you that those expectations came to reality. We can celebrate now the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, which is so awesome. But God, we know this, that your son, Jesus Christ, not only was born, but he died for us to take away our sins, to give us hope, love, peace, and joy. So God, I pray this morning for those that are in this room that maybe have never surrendered their life to you. They've never, they've never placed their trust in you.
because they've maybe looked at you like, where are you at? You've never been there for me. But you are there. So Lord, we pray this morning that if there's someone in this room who right now just needs to confess that you are God, for someone in this room who needs to trust you for the first time, I pray, Lord, that they just simply confess that. That they admit right now in their heart and pray this to you, asking for forgiveness of their sins. For the mistakes they've made, that they just ask for forgiveness from you. They confess with their mouth that you are Lord and Savior. They thank you for dying on the cross to save them. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. We trust you. We want to follow you. So we confess with our mouths and our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe that. Lord, walk with us. Help us to be ready now for your second coming with great expectation. And until that day comes, Lord, we're going to be ready. We're going to tell people about you. We're going to celebrate Christmas with joy, with excitement. We're going to look forward to when you come back with even more excitement. We love you, Lord. We thank you again for this morning. In our name we pray.